Hello, everyone. I see you're joining us for the Crest webinar. We'll get started in just a few minutes. We'd like to start promptly at 11. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. We will start promptly at 11 a.m. Good morning, thank you for joining us. We'll start promptly in about two minutes. Good morning, thank you for joining us. We'll stop promptly in about another minute. Go ahead, Bonnie, you have time to move your car. We, we won't start for another minute. Good morning, everyone. We'll wait just about another 30 seconds and we'll start. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and get started. Good morning and thank you for joining us today. My name is Laura Prouse and I'm with Cress Insurance Services. And for those of you who are not familiar with Cress, we have been providing real estate errors and emissions insurance and risk management services 
to real estate agents and brokers for over 20 years. We want every agent and broker to know how to effectively protect themselves in this daily business. We know it's tough. So we hope you find today's webinar valuable and we will be offering more webinars throughout the year. This morning, it's my pleasure to introduce Jim Messick from White & Steel. Jim has been a Crest partner for, wow, probably five, at least, at least five years now. He's handled hundreds, maybe thousands of risk management issues for, for us and provides real estate defense for our agents and brokers who are insured through Crest. So before we get started, um, just a few housekeeping items. We will have a Q&A at the end. You'll see a chat box on your screen. It's a little, it says Q&A. If you wanna type in your questions as you think of them, um, they'll list for me and then I will read them to Jim at the end. If we can't get to all of your questions, I apologize, but we will do our best. And if there's questions of general nature to everybody, we will address them and we can send them out with an email and we will be sending a copy of this presentation. So without any further ado, I'd like to go ahead and get started. I'm actually going to hand this over to Jim just so he can comment a little bit more about his history and all the incredible work he does for us. So Jim, I'm going to go on mute and let you take it away. Okay, thank you, Laura. Good morning, everybody. Uh, as Laura said, my name is Jim Masick. I'm an attorney here in Denver with the law firm of White & Steel, uh, where I, I focus on defending uh, professional malpractice claims, uh, a large number of real estate brokers uh, included uh, not only uh, lawsuits, but also administrative complaints with, with DORA and the Colorado Real Estate Commission, as well as, as other brokers or other licensees. Uh, so Laura, if we could go to the next slide. Uh, so before I was an attorney, yeah, I grew up on, on a farm in Iowa, and uh, I, I was thinking about, if you could go back a slide, Lauren, please, uh, about, uh, I grew up on a farm, so I was thinking about how I could start off this presentation, and immediately, you know, thought about, well, what do I want to speak about? And I wanted to talk about how brokers can get better, and so, I try to come up with a way to, to illustrate that point, to, to draw you in and get you excited about the presentation. And I, I began thinking about an experience I had as a child on a farm with my cousin uh, back in the 1970s. And if you were around then or, or you watch reruns on TV, you remember the $6 million man TV show with uh, Lee Majors. And I was a huge fan of that show. Uh, as a kid, I had the um, $6 million man lunchbox, I had the action figure, uh, all the accessories and all of that. And uh, the, the opening uh, introduction to the show always stuck in my mind. And uh, in fact, it played out in, in one incident uh, with a, a cousin of mine. So we were playing at uh, his family's farm and you know his mother my aunt sent us outside to go play uh we immediately went to the hayloft because we were big fort builders and we we're going to build a, a hay bale fort uh except uh, he decided to build uh, a tower uh, and then he climbed to the top of the tower and then things get a little hazy but the tower collapsed and 
he ended up breaking his leg. So my aunt, you know, carried him to the car, got his older siblings, put me in the car, and we were off to the hospital. And while we were driving, uh, my older cousins in the back were repeating the introduction from the, the $6 billion man. You know, Steve Austin, astronaut, Barry Lyme, gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology, we have the capability to build the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man, better than he was before, better, stronger, faster. So my cousins kept saying this over and over and over in the card. I thought he was gonna get a, a bionic leg. Um, and I think he thought that too, because when he came back out of the hospital to the waiting room, uh, he looked very disappointed that he only had a, a plaster cast on. Uh, so today, if we could, Laura, if you could advance the slide. So if we could uh, go with that theme of becoming better brokers, here, here's an example of what I, I, I drafted. Uh, so today's uh, presentation is about making brokers better, stronger, smarter. Uh, so how are we gonna do that? How are we gonna become the bionic broker instead of the broker with just the plaster cast? And the way we're gonna do that is with knowledge. And to illustrate that, uh, Laura, if you could turn to the next slide, please. This is a quote by uh, an incredibly smart man named David Deutsch, uh, where he talks about how cultures, how societies, nations, uh, the world's population advanced, and it's based on knowledge. Um, and, and at the very end, you know, he talks about the best institutions are those that keep improving, and the most important knowledge that they embody is knowledge of how to detect and eliminate errors. So that's what I, I wanna get into is share with you some of the errors, some of the risk that uh, I see when I'm asked to defend real estate brokers and that I, I'm sure Crest sees all across the country. So with that, Laura, can we uh, start with uh, the next slide? So two of the big issues that I see with frequency relate to septic systems and solar leases. So here in Colorado, many counties through their health department require that septic systems be permitted, that they be inspected, that they be regularly serviced. However, those, many of the septic systems were put in 30, 40, 50 years ago when they did not have a permitting process. And so those septic systems typically have a service life of approximately 40 years. And many times the home seller uh, knows they have a septic system, doesn't know or is unaware that they do not have a permit. But when they go to sell their property, uh, oftentimes the seller's agent, the listing broker, uh, will check the box on the MLS septic system, but they are unaware themselves that that county requires a septic permit. So, the problem is compounded when the buyer and the buyer's agent 
are unaware of the transfer requirements. So in many of these counties, and again, it's not all counties in Colorado, but certain big ones like Boulder, Tri-County, El Paso County, uh, require, have a septic system uh, transfer permit requirements. Uh, so people will get into the home, they will close, the title company doesn't look for permit issues. Uh, the scenario is neither broker is aware of the permit issues, seller doesn't know about it, and the buyer obviously doesn't know about it. However, the buyer moves in, discovers problems with the septic system, calls somebody up to inspect it, and they said, oh yeah, we've been inspecting this for years. Um, didn't you know about this problem? Weren't you disclosed? Where's your, your transfer permit? And then there are problems. Or the buyer wants to remodel, and when they go to the building department, the building department says, well, you can't do it because your septic system isn't big enough to accommodate the now increase in number of bedrooms. So these issues come up and they blame everybody. Uh, so it's a problem, not only with lawsuits, but with uh, DORA complaints, uh, licensing complaints. Uh, and then I'm in there with my, my client at their interview and the question comes up, were you a broker back in 2015? They'll say yes. Well, don't you remember at the annual update class, slides 256 through 258, and we told you about this. Um, and of course, they're not gonna remember three slides out of hundreds of slides from the annual update classes. So that's a, a licensing problem there. Um, and again, the law is that in many of these counties, once you transfer the property, you're supposed to get a transfer permit, which means that the septic system has been inspected for any problems and that it is not only usable, but safe for drinking water, underground water uh, for the, the surrounding area. Uh, and by this time, you know, there's problems with the septic system, you know, the leach field or the tank, uh, or the tank so old uh, that it can't pass the inspection. And so who's gonna pay for that? And a new septic system typically runs 30 to $40,000. Uh, there are problems though, if you're on a smaller parcel of land or if you're near water or you know, houses close by or other structures, where are you gonna put that drain field or, or leach field? Where are you gonna put in the tank? So that can increase the cost. Um, so again, please beware if a property has a septic system, more likely than not, that county is gonna require a transfer permit process. And another problem that creates confusion is that these permits are not filed with the building department for the county. They are filed with the health department. And that confuses a lot of people because why would you go to look for something structural with the county health department? So if you're in Adams County, Arapahoe, and Douglas County, you go to the Tri-County Health Department. If you're in Boulder, you go to the Boulder County Health Department. So some red flags to look for. 
is if the property is on one acre or more, if the property was built uh, before 1960 or developed before 1960, um, if they, they don't have records for a sewer tap or they're not being charged for sewer fees, these are all things to be on the lookout for. And then obviously if you're a buyer's agent and you see that the septic system box on the MLS is checked, then, then you need to look into that as well. Uh, and then it's not always easy to try and get a septic system permitted. Most counties are pushing people to get on public sewer. Uh, moving on, there's also issues that we see with solar leases. Uh, most people think that when they buy a house, they see the solar panels, the solar panels come with the house. And that may not be the case. Oftentimes, uh, solar companies will lease the panels and then there's a, a huge provision that upon sale uh, or termination that they get the panels back, they'll come out and remove the panels, or they require an immediate payoff uh, for any unpaid portion of the contract. So when you see solar panels on a house or the side of a house, next to the house start asking questions um, because your buyer is not going to be happy when the solar panel company comes up and puts the ladder on the side of the house and goes up on the roof and starts removing them um, but Laura can we go to the next slide please so other common complaints to be aware of and to be knowledgeable about uh, mostly relate to an alleged failure to disclose adverse material conditions. So as brokers here in Colorado, you know under uh, our, our statutory requirement that you are required to disclose actually known adverse material conditions. Um, and so a lot of these cases circle around whether you knew. Uh, a lot of times we will get complaints saying or alleging the broker should have known uh, well, that's not the law, and so we have to educate the, the claimant's attorney on what the, the statute actually requires. But then, you know, the race is on to try and show that the broker had actual knowledge and did not disclose. So a lot of things that we see a failure to disclose is water intrusion or mold. Uh, this was particularly a problem and resulted in a tremendous number of cases from the huge rains we had in 2013, and especially in 2015 in the Colorado Springs area. Uh, we, we got so many, there, there was so much water uh, in those years that houses that have never had water intrusion or flooding had water intrusion and flooding. And a lot of times the sellers, you know, just went and took care of the problem. You know, this was a one-time deal well, it turns out that they didn't completely fix the problem or remediate the mold uh, that showed up and people go into the homes and they find water stains, mold stains, uh, damage, and then they start talking to the neighbors. The neighbors said, oh yeah, the whole block flooded. Um, and then that starts creating questions of what, about what the broker knew. Um, so, we see these claims uh, regarding 
failure to review and correct the seller's property disclosures. Uh, that's a case where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, because uh, they're going to criticize you either way of, well, you had the information, you supplied it, what did you do to make sure it was accurate? Well, the case law or the, the statutes say you, you have no duty to investigate the property on behalf of the other party. Uh, you have no duty to verify the representations of the seller. That hasn't really stopped the claimant's attorneys from still trying to argue, well, you had it, you could have reviewed it, you should have reviewed it, and you didn't review it to make sure it was consistent and accurate. Uh, so just be aware of those issues. Uh, other things we come across are water rights. And this deals with most, well, what traditionally was considered a rural or agricultural property issue is now becoming uh, a suburban issue. So as you know, Colorado cities grow, they are taking up agricultural uh, land. And with that land, there are usually water rights. And Colorado has a very unique water rights system. Uh, it's based upon shares. So if you have water rights, you actually own shares. Uh, and it's based upon uh, feet per acre. And so a lot of times the sellers, they will want to reserve the water rights or they've already sold their water rights to a city or a municipality. And they don't always tell the broker that. And the broker is like, okay, well, this is a suburban home. We're just selling it, you know, as is. Uh, and the buyers don't understand that there's a well that they could be using for irrigating their, their yards. Uh, and they think, okay, I've got that. Uh, or if they are aware of it, they think they've got that right and they can use it. Well, those rights have been sold. Uh, and so that creates problems. And then it's, there's an issue of, well, what are the water rights worth? What were the shares at the time? What they could have got on an open market? So here in Colorado, there are at least two uh, um, trading places where people can buy and sell water rights. One is in, in uh, Fort Collins. Uh, I think the other is in Greeley where the Colorado Water Court is situated. Um, some other problems are where if you're working with a team or you have an assistant where there's a miscommunication and wrong or inaccurate information is sent, uh, you would be surprised. So a lot of times the buyer's agents are in a rush or they just don't want to do it and we'll call up the listing agent and say, hey, can you send me over the information you've got uh, from let's say it's an Airbnb property. What were the rental? Uh, what were the days of occupancy? What did you charge? What are the high, low seasons? Can you send that over? Uh, unfortunately, um, when they, it does get sent over, it may be information for another property. For example, I had a case in Steamboat Springs where there were two condo buildings side by side and they were numbered the same, uh, except the 
uh, condos were not all the same size. So my broker had one condo listed in each building at the time, uh, and they were on the same floor, but different unit numbers. Uh, the one that went under contract was the smaller unit, and then uh, the buyer's agent called and said, hey, send me over the, the rental history and accounting information. So the listing agent called his assistant and the assistant sent over the information for the larger unit and the building next door. Uh, and so then when the buyers tried to, to rent out the property, they were not getting the revenue they saw because it was priced too high for being a, a smaller unit. So, of course, they filed a claim. Uh, Laura, if we could move on. Uh, some other common complaints to, to be aware of and knowledgeable about, uh, we, we see a lot of problems with agent-owned property uh, and whether the broker provided additional, or the employing broker provided additional supervision. So, in many of your policy manuals, uh, a lot I have seen have a, a section in the manual about when additional or closer supervision is required. And commonly one of those um, times is when it's an agent owned property. Uh, and we all get busy and unfortunately there's just regular supervision, just looking at, at the file. Um, and then it turns out that the owner slash agent um, made a mistake along the way uh, that may or may be could have avoided. Um, but we see a lot of, of agent-owned property claims um, because, of course, the agent also owned the property and would have known about the entire history of the property during their ownership, at least, uh, of what maintenance was done and what was fixed. And so it's hard to claim no duty to disclose. We didn't have actual knowledge. Well, okay, actually we did have actual knowledge. So on to defense plan B or C. Uh, so just be, be mindful when uh, you are listing your own property, acting as your own agent. And if you're an employment broker, uh, be mindful of what your policy manual says in those instances. Uh, another big problem I see with frequency that I never thought I, I would have saw before. So uh, I think uh, Laura tried to make me feel better and younger. Uh, I've actually been working with Crest since 2007. So if you remember back then, those were dark days for real estate brokers uh, and sellers here in, in Colorado. Uh, and since then, you know, the, the real estate market has just, you know, skyrocketed at un, unbelievable rates. Uh, and so one of the problems we see are that sellers are accepting contracts, multiple contracts at the same time. Uh, multiple offers come in, the listing broker forwards them to the seller, says, what do you want to do? Which one do you want? And um, some of the, the sellers are, are elderly or they're just not sophisticated and they just keep clicking sign, 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 send, send, send. And so one case I, I came across 
uh, an elderly woman had accepted six different contracts to buy her home. Obviously, she can't sell the property to six different people. And some brokers, some buyers were nice and understood. Others were more aggressive and demanded performance or compensation. Uh, and so a couple times we've had to pay people not to buy a house. Uh, again, that's something I never thought I would see when I started uh, representing brokers. Um, another issue that comes up is, uh, you know, sellers will do their own home improvement projects and they will bypass the building department permits uh, that are required and then they don't disclose that and not being professional contractors didn't necessarily follow the building code requirements or practices. And so a lot of times the buyers will get in, uh, they will find something, have a contractor come out and say, well, this is not up to code. And I looked and there's no permits for, for these sorts of things. Uh, so again, if they, they want to sell the property, they, the, they would now have to disclose that there was no permits, that there are building code violations, and of course, they're gonna say that affects the value of the property and that the broker knew or should have known when they listed the property or their buyer's agent should have told them or done their due diligence for them by researching the permit history. Uh, and of course, the, the seller themselves uh, are long gone or they have no assets or they went through whatever capital gain they appreciated on the property. And so uh, guess who's left to be blamed? It's the brokers. So again, broker beware. Uh, Laura, if we go to the next slide, uh, here are some other common problems. Uh, and I will go through these pretty quickly. So one of the expectations, and we encounter this when we take a case to trial and are picking a jury that you know, there is such a thing as occupational bias out there in the public against real estate brokers. It's not just attorneys. Uh, unfortunately, brokers are at that end of the spectrum with us. Um, but, and that's based upon that brokers are supposed to know everything about real estate from construction, engineering, landscaping, uh, geological conditions, to being able to walk in a room and know instantly how many square feet that room is. Uh, so a lot of times we will get claims where the listing broker went off the asset or off the county assessor's information and surprise, surprise, the county assessor got it wrong. Uh, and then the appraiser got it wrong and then they go to refinance and they come out and that appraiser actually measures and finds the discrepancy. Uh, so again, they sue everybody. Uh, also, another thing to be particularly mindful about if you're up in the mountains especially, is easements. Uh, the properties are on sides of mountains and the property boundaries are not always clear. And you know they may have let their neighbor use their driveway or drive across their property or they didn't even know that there was an easement. So be careful for those. Uh, similarly, 
if you are selling the property because of easement errors, I always recommend that the broker advise, at least in writing, that uh, the buyer go get a survey. And if, it, if uh, a seller knows there is an issue, they may want to do a preemptive survey of their own. Also here in Colorado, Mother Nature uh, has blessed us uh, with our beautiful mountains and sunshine and our rivers. Um, but unfortunately with that comes floods and forest fires. And so, uh, you know, we always had claims for, well, you didn't tell me I was in a flood zone and I needed flood insurance. Well, that is largely been resolved through uh, the, the maps, mapping, um, but the, another issue that's coming up are forest fires. And the more and more we develop in, in forested areas, the more and more likely the risk. And a lot of people, when they buy their home, don't buy the insurance they need. So whose fault is it? It's the broker. You didn't tell me I was in a forest fire risk area. Um, so again, when you go out to a property and you're looking to list it, or if you're taking a client there for a showing, look around at the, the landscape area. Uh, sometimes if there's an HOA, uh, talk with them about what insurance the HOA has and what insurance you need. Uh, Laura, let's continue, please. Okay, uh, another two, two really big things that are coming to the forefront here in Colorado are, are oil, uh, oil and gas. Uh, as I said earlier, you know, Colorado cities are growing tremendously fast and they're getting into areas that was either agricultural or and we now know that there is oil and gas under these areas. Uh, there's oil and gas extraction activities going on in the northern suburbs of Denver, uh, including Westminster, all the way up along I-25, Larimer County, Boulder County, uh, although Boulder County has tried to to slow that down. Weld County is just going bonkers. Um, and so when people sell their, their suburban home, oftentimes they want to keep the mineral rights because they've either contracted them or there's a futures contract or they can contract them and get royalties. And that doesn't always get translated in the um, buy and sell contract. And a lot of times the title company doesn't pick up on this and they just prepare a regular deed. So if you are going to reserve mineral rights, mineral rights are property rights. They are not personal property rights. So a bill of sale for oil and gas won't do you any good. You've got to put that in the deed uh, or reserve it in the deed. So, uh, again, a lot of times, you know, we get involved and it's the buyer who has the rights when the seller wanted to keep them and the title company made the mistake. But as you know, in the closing instructions, the title company says they are only going to be the Scrivener and that it's up to you to review. Uh, similarly, uh, from time to time, we have unfortunate instances where houses blow up. 
because of natural gas leaks or pipes under the ground that we thought were abandoned or not actually abandoned and developed a leak. So again, it's important for, for brokers to understand the neighborhood, what's going in on the neighborhood, and at least advise uh, the buyer that you should look into what's going on with the oil and gas activity in the area. Uh, Laura, next slide, please. Uh, so again, some other problems we see. The, the one I'd like to, because I, I know I'm running short on time, is pointing out the, the misleading photos or information in the MLS. So another uh, brand new type of claim that I've started seeing in the past two years is the use of drone photography. Uh, and putting the, the photos in the MLS or in the marketing materials. So one instance we had was uh, a woman uh, thought she'd take a, a shot of the neighborhood with a drone and in the forefront was this awesome rec center with this incredibly fun pool and with a water slide. Uh, unfortunately, that rec center did not go with that property. That property was part of a community that had another rec center that did not have an awesome slide or water or pool. So uh, the people were disappointed when they bought their house and went to the rec center to go use the pool. Like, uh, you're not a member. Uh, it's going to cost you X to join. And they didn't like that. Uh, also, with drone photography, uh, this is especially true with condos and townhouses, but you know, brokers won't want to take a shot of the outside. Well, it also captures the neighboring house and you can see inside. And so neighbors follow what's going on when they see the house next door, they go on Zillow or wherever the photos are posted and they'll see, that's my home. Uh, I, I didn't give you permission. You can see in my home. I don't want, that's my daughter's bedroom. Uh, so there are privacy concerns and we get cease and desist letters and then we have to deal with that. Um, so again, when you're reviewing title, make sure you're looking at such things, uh, water, mineral rights, uh, be careful with contract drafting. I know most brokers, you know, use the software. The software is not foolproof. So just be careful. Uh, Laura, next slide. Uh, loss of earnest money is another problem we see uh, where deadlines were missed or uh, never put in the contract in the first place. Uh, and again, this goes the second point here, lack of knowledge about local or neighborhood specific issues. A again, this goes to fracking, oil and gas, uh, knowing the right rec center. So Laura, I'm running over, but uh, let's keep going, please. All right. So uh, tying it back in into what we're, I, I tried to introduce this presentation about, about, you know, better, stronger, smarter brokers. Uh, again, we have this incredible knowledge. We can help you. Uh, Crest does a fantastic job, like with today's presentation, of trying to get the word out. And, you know, I, I really believe that now is the best time, at least here in Colorado, to be a broker because we've got amazing homes, we've got amazing products, property values are, are stable, if not still going up. We've got people who are able to 
qualify for still what I consider low interest loans. So again, this is a great time to be a broker. I'm not trying to scare you, trying to give you the knowledge so that you can be a better, stronger, and smarter broker. Um, so with that, Laura, uh, the next slide I think is about, uh, uh, again, that's me. Uh, is I think uh, where we open it up to questions. Exactly, Jim, thank you. That was very, very informative. I do have a few questions. Does anybody continue, if wants to ask their questions, please continue putting into the um, Q&A chat box. Um, so I have one here. It sounds like most of the responsibility falls on the buyer's agent, not to take the seller's agent info as fact. Is that correct? So I assume should the buyer's agent be following up on what the seller's agent provides? Uh, definitely the seller's agent should follow up, but that doesn't let the, uh, I'm sorry, the buyer's agent should definitely be following up with the seller's agent. You, you need to communicate. Uh, and you should obviously be providing the information you have. Uh, and you should be doing that in writing. So you, we can go back and document who provided what information when. So a lot of these lawsuits and cases come down to who knew what when. Uh, and so, yeah, you, you've got to be, excuse me, working with each other. Uh, you, you need to be asking questions. You need to follow up and again, do it in writing. Uh, just because the, the buyer's agent should be following up, that doesn't let the seller's agent off the hook. As you know, they still have the statutory duty to disclose all actual adverse knowledge or actual knowledge of adverse material conditions. Uh, they can't say, well, I wasn't asked. Uh, it's uh, Our system is not set up for, a, you know, wasn't asked, don't have to tell. You know, we've switched from a buyer beware uh, system to a seller beware system. So, and I would even say broker beware system uh, to protect consumers and, and those are the sellers. So, you know, do get your buyer to do his due diligence. Uh, don't volunteer to take on activities beyond your scope but you know, you still have a duty to advise them of things, of issues you're aware of, but that are outside your knowledge. Um, so everybody needs to be diligent. Jim, I have a few more questions if you don't mind. Sure. Is it okay to write in an email that you don't know anything about fracking and mineral rights? Uh, yeah, if that's true, um, you know, I've never seen that, that done. Um, I mean, you, you don't have an affirmative duty to tell people what you don't know. Um, but obviously, if you've got some, some type of documentary evidence to show contemporaneously what you didn't know, then that would be helpful for me as, as your defense attorney. Uh, but uh, again, you know, people will get suspicious about, well, why are you putting that statement in writing? What did you really know? Did you suspect there was something? You know, if you didn't suspect there was something, why would you, you write that? So uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I mean, I would have, 
If you suspect that there are oil and gas activity going on in the neighborhood, talk to your seller about that. Um, and then send a confirming that we discussed this uh, and this was your answer. Okay, I have time. We're gonna, a few more minutes. So I'm just gonna finish up with the last three questions here. Sure. Um, do brokers need to do anything different now in light of this class action lawsuit against uh, NAR and for the large franchises? Okay, so first of all, many of you probably know, but for those of you who don't, there is uh, an antitrust class action lawsuit that was filed Wednesday of last week in Chicago against the National Association of Realtors and four of the, the larger nationwide brokerages uh, for uh, requiring buyers to pay the commission to their own agent. Uh, basically, they're attacking the, the 6% standard practice uh, that's offered by, by a seller. And basically, they're, they're looking to save buyers some money or, or sellers from having to pay, pay the commission. Uh, so I know that uh, NAR has sent out literature and statements, uh, and I know Scott Peterson at the Colorado Association of Realtors is also providing information to brokers, and that's the first place I, I would tell you to start. Second thing I would tell you is I don't believe the sky is falling. Uh, this is a class action that there are going to be numerous challenges to this lawsuit. You know, do they have standing? Is this class, can it be certified? Uh, in talking with the, the other attorneys uh, who are on the transaction side and advise brokerages, as well as those who litigate, you know, we're all taking a wait and see approach. Right now, I don't I would not advise you do anything differently. Uh, I would check in with NAR and, and the CAR websites uh, to see what, what their statements are, what their recommendations are, and follow those. But no, I don't think you need to, to panic and try to change anything you're doing right now. Okay, um, another question. Do I really need a lawyer to respond to a DORA complaint? A DORA licensing complaint, sorry. Uh, I'm going to give you a lawyer answer and say that depends. Uh, so it depends on several things, you know, you know, how serious or what exactly is the complaint, the nature of the complaint. Uh, if you get the feeling that you are being set up for a lawsuit, um, then definitely you will want an attorney to defend you. Or if there is an ongoing lawsuit at the same time, you will definitely want an attorney. Uh, also, you know, are they, they looking for financial reimbursement? So a lot of times uh, people don't understand that Dora can't make the broker pay them money for whatever losses they're claiming. Um, but that tells me that there's a claim coming. Uh, so there you may want an attorney. Also, uh, if you're familiar with the Division of Real Estate Investigators, the Colorado Real Estate Commission, they can be very harsh. Uh, and they have their investigation strategies uh, and they, and they're designed, in my opinion, to trip up the unwary. For example, 
you may get asked the question, well, did you give me everything in your transaction file? And you're thinking, I think I did. I, I gave you everything that I thought was relevant to, to the issue. You know, was there anything missing? And then they'll follow up and say, are you sure you gave me everything? They're supposed to identify the specific documents they want, but a lot of times they don't. They will just say, did you give me everything? And then eight, nine months later, you'll get the report. Broker was asked to provide transaction document. Broker was asked to provide everything. Broker did not provide everything. These are the documents that were missing. And so a lot of times brokers, if they knew what specifically was being asked for, they would have given it to them and there would be a non-issue. There wouldn't be a, a licensing issue. But these are the types of things you gotta be on guard against. And you may think, oh, the complaint is just about this one issue that really doesn't have anything. Well, guess what? They investigate the entire transaction. And in my 12 years of doing this, I've never seen a single 100% perfect transaction. And, so, you know, a lot of them are insignificant, minimal issues. But if you're concerned that this may become a licensing issue, then definitely reach out and get an attorney. Hey, Jim, I am going to make sure we stay on track right now. So I'm actually going to, but just for everybody who's attended, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Again, we hope you found this valuable to help you protect your business. And Jim, thank you for your time and, and preparation on this webinar. We will be sending out a copy to everybody who RSVP'd. So if you have colleagues who RSVP'd and did not attend, um, but you know they registered, they will get a copy as well you. So thank you all very much. And Jim, extra special thank you for your time and knowledge today. I'm going to go ahead and end the presentation. And again, thank you all for joining us. And we will be presenting more um, during the year. Thank you. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Jim. Bye, everyone.